0: Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story
1: expert suffering in a world without shrimp, Lonnie Rich, And I'm film scholar and star of The Matrix, Noelle LaCroix. And we're here today to talk about Superstar, the 17th episode of season four. Superstar aired on April 4th, 2000 and was written by Jane Espenson with Doug Petrie as story editor and directed by David Grossman. As you know, as we know, we are a fully spoiled Buffy podcast. That means we're going to talk about... All kinds of plot twists and revelations, and we might even go all the way to the last season. We might spoil some movies. We're going to talk about <laughs> The Matrix, which I have never seen.
0: You've never seen
1: The I've Matrix. I've never seen The Matrix. <sighs> oh my god! Although I'm increasingly intrigued, um, because it was written and directed by trans women, which is yes. rad. So you yes, know, that's great. Yes, Um mm-hmm. but you know. I'm not spoiler sensitive, so if Laddie tells me everything that <laughs> happens in the Matrix, I'm going to be okay. However, <laughs> if spoilers are not your jam, uh maybe join us when you have binge-watched all of Buffy. It's a great way to start your new year. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it is. It yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. That's enough creepy small talk. We're looking for a monster. So let's go on patrol. In Superstar, we open with the Scooby Gang kicking vampire ass in the graveyard. But when they find a nest full of vampires feeding off a victim, they back off, unsure of what to do. They run to a big house on a hill and walk into a mammoth office where someone sits in a large leather chair with their back to the group. We have a problem.
0: Sounds like you could use my help. Yes, it's Jonathan, and he is so dreamy. At Giles's, Jonathan makes a plan to take out the nest, and it goes off without a hitch, except that Buffy's feeling like she didn't perform as well as she should have. Outside, paparazzi are there to get shots of Jonathan, and after they disperse, they bump into Spike, who doesn't know Buffy's name but is cowed by Jonathan threatening to turn him into instant soup mix. While Willow and Tara tape pictures of Jonathan to the wall and talk about Buffy dealing with Riley accidentally sleeping with Faith, Buffy and Riley hang at his place, not talking about it. He starts to get romantic and she runs off and goes to talk to Jonathan. Jonathan signs a book for a fan named Karen while he advises Buffy to just
1: talk to Riley. How do I make it okay again?
0: If you really want it, you can make anything happen.
1: At the initiative, a new colonel is in charge of operations and they need to recover Adam. They've brought in a tactical consultant and it's Jonathan. He tells them that Adam's power source is not biological. Cutting off his head or shooting him won't do the job. To stop Adam, They have to destroy him completely. Meanwhile, at Jonathan's house, Karen is stalking him, watching his house through binoculars when a monster comes at her and attacks. Riley is going to Jonathan for advice on his relationship with Buffy and Jonathan tells him to talk to Buffy. That night at the Bronze, Jonathan sings Serenade in Blue and Riley and Buffy dance, and specifically, don't talk. Buffy, I want you to know. Do we have to have the talk? No talk. While Jonathan's performing, Karen rushes
0: in and tells him she was attacked. They go back to Jonathan's where they meet with the police and she draws a mark that was on the beast. As soon as Jonathan sees it, he says he'll handle it and sends everyone away. Then at the lair, a vampire mentions Jonathan and Adam is the only one not under the spell.
1: These are lies. None of this is real. The world has been changed. It's intriguing,
2: but it's wrong.
1: At Jonathan's house, he stares into his fireplace as a pair of Swedish twins ask him to come to bed. Ugh. We will talk about that. When he takes off his robe, the symbol that was on the beast is scarred into his shoulder. Willow, Tara, and Buffy are walking on campus, talking about the new beastie in town, and Buffy's a little suspicious about Jonathan's uncomfortable reaction to the symbol, but it's Jonathan. Surely he's got it under control. Tara realizes that it's damsel o'clock and goes off to her dorm so she's not late to get attacked by the beast. The next day, Willow and Buffy talk to Tara and Tara says the beast had a symbol on its forehead. Buffy draws the symbol from Karen's beast and Tara says that's it. This. Was it this?
0: Buffy, Jonathan said we were all safe. Jonathan said it. Buffy goes to Xander's to look through his collection of Jonathan's stuff, but Xander's not there. Anya awkwardly lets her in, and she goes through Xander's comics and trading cards while Anya reads Jonathan's book. Buffy shares her suspicions about Jonathan being so good at everything. Buffy asks about alternate realities, and in that moment, the world without shrimp joke that will not die in the Wheatonverse was born. Buffy goes to Giles's and shares her concerns with the
2: Scoobies.
1: I think that. Jonathan may be doing something so that he's manipulating the world and we're all like his
2: pawns. Or fronds.
1: Stop with the shrimp. I am trying to do something here. Buffy tries to convince them that Jonathan altered their universe and when she looks at Giles' Jonathan swimsuit calendar, it was a gift. She sees the symbol on Jonathan's shoulder. Jonathan shows up And Buffy asks about the monster, and Jonathan gives them a bullshit story about how he's faced the monster before, and he put the mark on his shoulder so he would never forget. Something like that. Buffy suggests they go after the monster, and Jonathan agrees. In the graveyard, they bump into Spike, and Jonathan decides they're not going to get any information out of him. But then Buffy takes over. Back at Giles's, the Scoobies are in research mode, and Willow discovers that Jonathan did a spell that made him into everything good. And to balance it out, the spell created a monster that is everything bad.
2: So we're saying he did a spell just to make us think he was cool? Yes. That is so cool.
0: They figure out that killing the monster will revert Jonathan back to whatever he was before, so Jonathan isn't going to want Buffy to kill that monster. In the cave, it seems like Jonathan is actually going to kill Buffy, but when the monster attacks, he helps her kill it, and the spell reverses. Afterwards, everyone processes their grief over losing Super Jonathan, which seems like a weird response after having their minds and lives violated, but you know, okay, whatever. Buffy sees Jonathan, all regular and nerdy and small, hanging back and watching from a distance, and she goes over to talk to him. He whines a bit, then apologizes, and tells Buffy that he can't really remember the advice he gave her about Riley, but he knows it's right they should talk. So Buffy goes back to Riley's and... I'm glad we talked this all out.
1: We haven't talked
0: at all. Uh Oh. Well, whatever we're doing, we're doing it great. So, Noel, here we are at Superstar, which is one of my favorite episodes of Buffy. Not unproblematic, but still a really, really great episode. I mean,
1: problematic fave. We all love a problematic fave, right? Uh, I mean... You know what?
0: It happens and everything is complicated, you know, and that is fine. <laughs> um, but I have to say, like, from the opening credits... I freaking love the opening credits that have all these shots intercut with Danny Strong as Jonathan being so super cool to the end where they have him in the like billowing Batman jacket as he's walking with this. I love that whole thing. It delights me to no end. It's one of my
1: favorite parts of the whole episode. (laughs) Such a fantastic detail. And what a great choice to have the reveal of Jonathan in the leather chair. He spins around. He's all cool. And then so that we don't, like, come down from that moment, we get to see him in the credits. Like, it's a wonderful, just narratively and, like, visual storytelling-wise, it's a great... it's a great like second track. You know how like track yes. one on a great album is great. And then track two right. oftentimes is like it like brings it up even higher. And you're like, yes, yeah, this is so good. It's, <laughs> I feel that way about the credits mm-hmm. for because well, It's inviting us
0: into the Bizarro World reality, right? We are not just looking at this and watching Buffy experience a Bizarro World. We as the audience are also experiencing a Bizarro World because those opening credits do not exist within the world of Buffy. It's you know, so they good. are extratextual, right? They are for yeah. us as the audience, you know? Um, and so having Jonathan, you know, celebrated in those opening credits is really fantastic and brings us into that bizarre World space. Now, we've talked about Bizarro Worlds before, and everybody, of course, knows that I love a Bizarro World story. And again, I'm just going to say, Buffy's hair is curly here in the Bizarro world curly that's hair wavy love
1: it
0: yep. i know i mean it's not a direct correlation but it's you know it's more times than not when buffy's hair is curly we're in a bizarre world thing and i just can't believe that that's an accident but whatever um Anyway, magically altering the reality of a world gives us a whole new context to work within, and it shows us different sides of our characters, which also kind of opens up the question, like how much of our personalities and behavior, even ideas and opinions are based on who we truly are, and how much is a direct response to the circumstances that we happen to find ourselves in, the reality in which we are living. And that's what I think makes A Bizarre world story so much fun. And so for the writers out there, I'm gonna go on a brief thing, talking about the bizarro world in general. Uh, The difference between a bizarro world and just a break from reality is that there is some kind of altering effect at play, like Anya's spell from The Wish, right? And like this spell in Superstar. Um, That it is textually acknowledged and that the world again resets at the end of the episode. An episode in which everything is just weird or different for no textually acknowledged reason is just an episode that breaks the world of the story, right? And you can Mm -hmm. go to uh, the Angel Season 5 Episode "The Girl in Question" for an example of that. That is not bizarre a world. That's just fucking bizarre, and there's no reason <laughs> for that episode. It's just weird. Anyway, we'll be talking about that over on Still Dead very soon. Actually, we might have talked about it this week when this episode airs. I don't know. I can't keep all track of it all. But anyway, it's over <laughs> I mean, on Still we're Dennis. coming
1: at you from the past, so this who is true. even knows? I'm in the past.
0: I can't possibly know what the future holds. It's a bit much for me. But anyway, an episode in which everything is just weird or different for no textually acknowledged reason is just an episode that breaks the world of the story. Now, some shows are weird enough to begin with that the worlds are elastic enough to handle that. For example, like in Scrubs, right? The stories yes. of those episodes were told from JD's perspective. We are deep, deep, deep POV in his head. So that when he imagined everyone breaking into song, like it worked, you know? But that's mm-hmm. not a bizarre world story because it's consistent with the elasticity of the world created for every single episode of Scrubs. There's always something weird going on on Scrubs. That is the everyday reality. Um, Similarly, stretchy realities exist in shows like The Simpsons and South Park, in which the worlds themselves are built to encompass a wide range of tones and realities. Uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is the same deep POV reason as Scrubs. Um, And pretty much all the superhero and fantasy stories that include reality-bending magical or scientific effects. The essential quality of a bizarre world requires serial storytelling. For example, Freaky Friday is a standalone movie. It's a standalone story, but it's not a bizarre world because the whole story takes place within that weird reality. Same thing with Groundhog Day. Um, but when you have a show that has a stated reality that you see for you know the vast, vast majority of the episodes, you can then, if the show and the world of the show will allow for magical reality altering or even scientific reality altering, then you can pull in a Bizarro World episode and just have so much fun. And right now, we're going to go to Chiprish's own superhero scholar, co-host of the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, Listen Up A-Holes, Joshua Unruh, for a quick primer on the history of Bizarro Worlds, which, like a lot of our storytelling tropes, has its roots in comic book history.
2: Listen up, A-Holes. Just kidding. That's the wrong show but I am here in my capacity as superhero scholar or possibly pedantic asshat. I guess we'll find out as we go. You see, Lonnie must have got wind of the fact that the way she uses Bizarro World sets my teeth on edge. I don't bring it up often, on mic or off, but one of the times I've commented on it must have been one time too many because she asked me to come in and give a brief history of Bizarro World. Lonnie tends to say bizarro world when she means that something has happened that alters the status quo for an issue or an episode. Doppelgangland is a great Buffy example alongside this week's Superstar. But a bizarro world is a mirror image of the regular world with everything reversed. Sometimes it's a cracked mirror image as well, but we'll talk more about that in a minute. This all started, as so many things do, in Superman comics. Or more precisely, Superboy comics. Bizarro is a supporting character and sometimes villain in Superman comics and has been since 1958. A teen version appeared in Superboy number 68 written by Otto Bender and drawn by George Papp. The more famous adult version appeared in the Superman newspaper strip just a few months later. Bizarro is created by a duplicate ray that makes an imperfect duplicate or mere image of first Superboy and later Superman. Bizarro has chalk-white skin, a rocky, angular appearance to his facial features, and speaks in a childlike way where everything he says means the opposite. Me and Bizarro. Me think great art is ugly and trash dump is beautiful. Me save Metropolis. And then he proceeds to destroy Metropolis. During one of the early Bizarro stories, he falls in love with Lois Lane. Lois, who is one of the greatest characters in all fiction, quickly used the duplicating ray on herself to create an imperfect copy, a Bizarro Lois. Bizarro and Bizarro Lois fly off into space, determined to find a world where they can be happy and accepted. And if you're wondering how we get from a Bizarro to an entire Bizarro world, well, you just saw the seeds planted with Bizarro Lois. When Superman next runs into the couple, they've used the duplicating ray to create an entire population of bizarros. There are so many bizarros that the original now wears a massive stone medallion that says bizarro number one. His S shield is now backward and his powers have reversed from Superman's so that he has freeze vision, flame breath, vacuum breath, Bizarro telescopic vision, which lets him see a short distance behind his head. Bizarro microscopic vision, which makes objects actually get smaller. Bizarro x-ray vision, so he can only see through lead. And blue kryptonite, not green, will kill him. This population of bizarros now live together on a cube planet called Hatray, which is Earth spelled backwards, so I am honestly doing my best with that pronunciation. Out of protest for how he was treated on Earth, Bizarro No. 1 made it law that bizarros must act the opposite of human beings, thus creating a backwards, cracked-mirror society on the bizarro world, Petray. And there you go, that's where bizarro world comes from and what it actually means. It isn't so much a world where one significant factor is different, instead it's a world where everything is so different that it's actually backwards.
0: You know, what is really funny is that uh, Joshua says that I must have uh, asked him to do this because I knew that my use of Bizarro World was wrong. And I didn't I don't remember him ever telling me that, although I will say I'm sure that he did. I just don't specifically remember it um, because I like that nomenclature. And maybe I was just in a little bit of denial because I enjoy using Bizarre World. We've been using it for a really long time, um, you know, over here and in How Story Works to talk about a magically differentiated universe. But now that I understand that it already has a very specific meaning, which is just the opposite of everything, um, then maybe what I'll do is figure out a new term for that. But thank you so much, Joshua, for coming in and telling us all of this amazing stuff i always love listening to his uh his information on comic books and if you do too then you need to subscribe to listen up a-holes it is fabulous and i don't mind saying that even though i'm a co-host because i think that he brings all of the fabulous to it and i'm just kind of there to you know hang out
1: oh don't you dare
0: (laughs) (laughs) but anyway my false modesty aside um all right. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the the kind of
1: cult of celebrity worship that we see in this episode as well. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, I don't think it's a big stretch to say that this episode is capital A about celebrity, sure. um, uh-huh. what it means to be a celebrity, but also how accustomed we are to celebrities just dictating our lives and behaviors. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jonathan is great. Because he's Jonathan, right? no no one questions his greatness or his influence at first.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just he is who he is. and well, of course, right. Of course he's this way because this is the kind of this is the kind of space that celebrities occupy in culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really does strike me as a kind of cultish relationship that we society have Mm -hmm. to these people that we hold up as you know paragons is actually the word that that the spell uses Mm -hmm. Um, so what i love is that as the memory of the experience is fading Mm -hmm. xander says i'll always remember the way he made me feel about me Right. And the Scoobies scoff at this, but I love this view of celebrity. I uh-huh. I absolutely love this. I believe that we respond to the things in others that we want to foster more of in ourselves or on mm-hmm. the shadow side, we respond to things in others that we dislike about ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just love this as a moment of characterization and vulnerability for Xander. Mm -hmm. I mean, we already know how Xander feels about himself within this group and how Mm -hmm. he really just, like, wants to be seen and acknowledged. Mm -hmm. And he's seeing that in Jonathan. He gets some of that for himself through this Jonathan worship,
2: which Mm -hmm. I find
1: so fascinating, but also so sweet. Um, well,
0: right. And it's really reflective, too, of the way that he has this hero worship with Buffy as well. Like when he's not getting this from Jonathan, he's kind of getting that from Buffy. She is the hero. She is the one that he looks up to and the one that reflects on him as well. So yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting to see that, you know, sort of intensified and focused on Jonathan. But it's it's really neat to see that within Xander, because I think that's very much part of his personality.
1: It's part of his personality, and it also shows us what he values. I think more so than with his kind of envious hero worship Mm -hmm. of Buffy. I read it as envy. Um, Mm -hmm. But with Jonathan, it just seems like reverence. And I don't know if that's a gendered thing or if it's, Uh um, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just the intensity of the Bizarro World, because that's another thing Bizarro Worlds are great for. Yes. Mm you can't do an effective bizarro world if you haven't really established a world world. <laughs> yes, <laughs> to, um, d- to divert
0: from exactly right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We
1: have to know we have to know exactly what we're doing and what to expect in order mm-hmm. to see and appreciate the bizarro world when it happens. Exactly. Um, so I feel like Xander. It it seems to me like Xander in the jonathan as paragon world is even more xander somehow mm-hmm. i mean like when he says i love it i love the vulnerability in xander when he says <laughs> so we're saying he did a spell just to make us think he was cool that is so cool <laughs> like i just it just cracks me up because i'm like i'm like oh honey like oh sweetie like you're so he so wants that kind of yeah power Mm -hmm. And he's just in because he desires that kind of power and recognition for himself. He's so in awe of it in Jonathan. And there's something Mm -hmm. to me that's just like really sweet about that.
0: Right. Well, I think when you see Jonathan achieve the kinds of things that he has achieved, you know, I mean, granted through magic or whatever. But in this episode, I think Xander looks at Jonathan and thinks he could be that. Right. You know, with Buffy, he can never be Buffy. He can never be the Slayer. It's one girl in all the world. Right. right. You know, I mean, it's it's not something that's available. It's not a reality that's available to him. Right. Um, but if Jonathan can be all of these things, you know, Xander has that kind of aspirational feel, you know, to his his adoration of Jonathan as well.
1: Well, and we know Xander to be the the type of person who would use magic to right. oh, change yeah. reality oh sure he would. you know he's well he's joked about it in the mm-hmm. past you know when yep. he and giles are so bored yeah <laughs> he's like you know we could summon something and then save the day and giles <laughs> yeah. is like uh both dangerous and unethical so no <laughs> But like, and of course, that's what he ends
0: up doing. Yeah. In once more with feeling, although once more with feeling, I think cheats at that. But we'll talk about that when we uh, get yeah, there.
1: I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there when mm-hmm. we get there. But right. <laughs> sometimes the spoilers on this show are just we'll get there when we get there. We'll get there when we get there. Exactly. There's just too much. There's too much. Let me sum up. <laughs> um. But something, something else I love about this kind of magnifying glass that we put on Mm -hmm. Xander's character personality in this episode is that it it kind of works in this whole I don't know magic memory like who you are you brought this Mm -hmm. up at the top of the show you know who you are versus like who you really are (laughs) right Mm -hmm. and I talked about this in Who are you with the Faith-Buffy body swap? You know, Mm -hmm. I was curious about the role that muscle memory might have in these women's experiences of inhabiting each other's bodies. Mm -hmm. And here in Superstar, it seems like magic is no match for muscle memory. Um, Mm -hmm. When Buffy goes off to fight the monster, Giles says she's never stood alone against something like this before. But of course, that's not the case. We know Mm it. And her body Mm -hmm. knows it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, magic is stronger than the mind's ability to remember but not the body's. So as Buffy is fighting this monster and muscle memory kicks in, presumably, she says, I Uh remember this. This is good. Yeah. And it's in that remembering of her power through her body that she taps into pleasure. Because Buffy has been Mm -hmm. very sad in this episode. Yeah. In addition, I mean, and it's not just the relationship friction with Riley and the not Mm -hmm. talking about what happened with Faith it's also this kind of sense of that unacknowledged power in herself because of Mm -hmm. course she is still the slayer she's still the slayer she's still the chosen one but she's not able to really embody that you know Mm -hmm. pun very much intended because she's living under this cult of Jonathan worship Right. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really interesting moment, I think, of remembering power through the body. Um, God, I love that, you know, because I never think about these like...
0: Physical elements like your your way of looking at things, you have this very like grounded, like physical way of looking at things. And I never think about that. But that is such a great point because she does have that muscle memory. She does tap into that. And it is through her physicality that she that she kind of like holds on. She's the one who's able to hold on. You know, through that muscle memory, through knowing that she was supposed to like when they they beat the vampires and she was like, I was supposed to do better. I should have done better at that. Why am I not doing better? Because she knows she's supposed to. So that's a very, very cool perspective on that. On some level, she knows.
1: On some level, she knows. And I think that that is what's really fascinating about this reality altering Mm -hmm. magic, specifically in this episode, Um, talking about divination and magic. Amanda Yates Garcia, who is also known as the Oracle of Los Angeles, asks, mm-hmm. what do you know that you've forgotten you know? Ooh. And she oh, att- that's right? question. She yeah. attributes this question to Baba Yaga, the witch uh, of Eastern European folklore. I uh-huh. couldn't find a citation for that, but I love the idea of Superstar as a fairy tale or a fable about bodily intuition. This connection that Buffy has with the physical body of the Slayer, of being the Mm -hmm. Slayer and what that means and where that knowledge and memory resides in her. Um, Right. You know, magic Mm -hmm. has consequences. Uh, Like, obviously the fable part of this episode is magic has consequences and those Mm -hmm. consequences affect more than just the magician. They affect everyone. But even when everything around us is an illusion created by the egoic spellcasting of one lonely, power-hungry sorcerer. Our bodies know the truth. Oh, my God. That
0: is so interesting. God, that's so interesting. And there's like a million things that I'm thinking about my own personal experience where my body <laughs> knew the truth. Yep. And I didn't, but my yep. body did. Oh, my. Okay. I just, I kind of need you to do a whole podcast where you're talking about nothing
1: but that. But we're talking about Buffy now. (laughs) Well, I mean, I would love to talk about, I mean, like, I can talk about the physical body of the Slayer and the way that the show, like, someone, I I kind of hope, actually, that someone has done, like, their PhD on this. Mm -hmm. Because, like, the body of the Slayer or the body of the Chosen One, like, what it means to be the chosen one in any sense right whether it's Mm -hmm. whether it's on Buffy or it's in your favorite science fiction world or fantasy world or your favorite you know folklore or mythology or religion Mm -hmm. or whatever like what does it mean for the physical body of the being who is the one you know whatever Mm um and I think I mean and I don't I don't want to like, get too... (laughs) Like, I don't want to go off-road too far. But we've (laughs) talked about... You know, we've talked about Buffy and Christ a little bit on the show. Mm -hmm. We're certainly not... Mm -hmm. Like, this is not a... This is not a theology podcast. But... Not even close, right? Not even close. (laughs) (laughs) Go to the Prophecy Guys for that. They do Buffy and
0: theology. It's very interesting. They're wonderful.
1: Mm -hmm. The Prophecy Guys for Buffy and theology. And just to kind of, like, bring it back around a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, the body of christ is kind of a big deal so the body of the sl- like yeah. it's kind of a big deal um so the body of the slayer and like what that means and there's a whole mm-hmm. you know there's that whole spiritual element to being chosen but it's also there's also this earthly existence mm-hmm. and that's kind of part of what the big deal is you yeah. know, this idea mm-hmm. of someone who is a holy person being incarnated, like what it means to be a right. human, what it means to have a human experience. So mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> way that off road.
1: Really I'm so off road. Um I, I can like get back it though. I mean I can get back on the road with with talking about one of my favorite embodied human experiences which is that gay shit oh yes let's talk about the gay shit i love it oh my god okay so this week in gay shit right (laughs) 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 i mean i would much rather do this week in gay shit than this week in men um right (laughs) we can do this week in men you can do whatever you want honey it's your podcast you do it (laughs) Okay. All right. So, so this week in Gay Shit, it's actually, this is, this is kind of brief, the semi-recurring segment, but uh, yes. I love, I just love so much that in Jonathan's magical reality, everyone is into him. I know. Including Giles, <laughs> which is so <laughs> wonderful. So great. The whole scene with the Jonathan swimsuit calendar is excellent. That is yes. exactly the kind of thing that I come to Bizarro episodes of Buffy for. Mm-hmm. And shout out once again to Sarah Michelle Geller for having chemistry with everyone and everything. <laughs> Her right. little, when she's flipping through the pages and she goes, no, no, oh, like that little <laughs> three beat? <laughs> that is a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> That is so good. (laughs) She is so
0: unbelievably good. good. And I don't know that. I mean, I think people who are like fans of Buffy appreciate how good Sarah Michelle Gellar is. Like how powerful her performance is Um, outside of like the Buffy fandom. I don't think people know. And it's such a shame. I feel like this is something that everyone should know is how freaking good this woman is.
1: Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. it's. She's phenomenal. She can yeah. smolder with everything. I don't yeah. know how it's done, but she does it. And yeah. you know, this—I mean—that whole scene, that whole scene where where Buffy is like, "Do mm-hmm. you have a Jonathan's swimsuit calendar?" And Jill says, "No." Yes. <laughs> like it's just like uh, Emmys, uh, like uh, Emmys, Emmys, everybody. It was a gift. And then, yes. Oh my god, it was a gift.
2: It was a gift.
1: And then, <laughs> fucking Anya with lickable i can't even I, I can't do it no. i can't it's so good anyway oh i God. love but i love i love that in jonathan's reality everyone is into jonathan yeah everyone even riley's balls poster has been replaced by a jonathan poster <laughs> I just jonathan like, has replaced riley's balls can yes. we just <laughs> yes like can we have a moment uh, uh. can we have a moment <laughs> like a moment of silence for riley's balls please <laughs> poster form poster form poster form exactly oh god okay but like but seriously like the serious gay shit that i want to talk about Mm -hmm. is willow and tara saying goodbye when buffy Mm -hmm. is right there Mm -hmm. oh my god they're walking through campus tara needs to go it's damsel o'clock she doesn't want to you know be late for Mm -hmm. being attacked um But the way that Willow and Tara look at each other, like, the the, just the look and then the touch, the little hand squeeze and the uncertainty. And, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, Buffy, in Faith's body, has met Tara as Willow's powerful witch friend. Mm -hmm. Um, And while Faith, in Buffy's body, obviously spotted the nature of the relationship right away, Buffy hasn't figured it out yet. And partly that's because, you know, when you're, like, not in your body, you don't really, Mm -hmm. I imagine... <laughs> yeah. have a lot of emotional bandwidth to be like, "Huh? Right. Huh? I wonder <laughs> if my friend and her friend are more than friends." Um right. but, you know, so so there's that aspect of it, right? The Buffy mm-hmm. Buffy doesn't really know the nature of this relationship, but mm-hmm. Willow and Tara are clearly still parsing out their relationship and how public it is, and it's so Moving to me in this tiny little moment. Like you can just mm-hmm. see the energy exchange. The like, well, we're obviously very gay in private, but in public, like, <laughs> do we hug? Oh, like, is it God, weird? So do we sweet. kiss in front of Willow's friend? Like, no, yeah. maybe not. You know, and it's just this like halting sweetness. I know. And I I love it. I love it so much because the desire is there, but so Mm -hmm. is the discomfort. And again, it's all in the performance. It's all in how they are with each other. And it like, it just gives me goosebumps and all the (laughs) feelings because I've like, I've been there. Like, uh, do we, do we, what is this? Where are we? Like, we haven't negotiated this. We haven't like discussed boundaries. It's oh, it's so it's it's, so incredibly sweet. Great! It's so great! It's so great! Mm -hmm. I just I I love love it.
0: So that's our twigs segment this week in gay shit. (laughs) This week in gay shit. Just
1: call it twigs. (laughs) This week, oh my god. (laughs) I'm sorry. It took me a moment. (laughs) Took you a moment to get it? I know. I saw that. I was like, oh, it spells twigs. Then we got to call it that. That's adorable. Oh, my God. Okay. ridiculous (laughs) ridiculous
0: <laughs> all right so one of the things that I really want to talk about of course is Jonathan right uh, this <laughs> so is <dreamy. laughs> so complicated the whole Jonathan thing is so fucking complicated and it's interesting and it's weird and it's just yeah um, but I love his role in this whole thing you know he's cool but he's not too cool he's what he imagines cool to be and mm-hmm. it takes a magical effect to make everyone else also think he's cool like just listen to him in this clip thanks for doing this Jonathan I wouldn't ask, but... Hey, don't worry about it. Nest full of vampires, you come get me. Okay. Box full of puppies. That's more of a judgment call. (laughs) (laughs) Hit me.
2: You got me. It was very punchy.
0: Watch out for Southpaw's buff. Don't let him surprise you.
1: Yeah, box of puppies. It's not actually cool. (laughs) It's like, that's not a joke, though. It's not funny. It's not a
0: joke. joke, It's not funny. And yet, right. (laughs) it's this is his this is his imagined sense of what charm is, and because he basically is defining reality for everybody else, everybody else is acting like that is reality. So I think that it's cool that he was he was feigning charm. It was like faux charm, faux oh, coolness, you know, oh but no. it actually worked within the thing it's but,
1: like movie charm. I just got it yeah. like it's not he's not right actually he doesn't charming. know. He's performing a kind of fictional, oh, Jonathan. It's all performative.
0: (laughs) And and the thing is, is that this is like he's making it work through the force. When he does shit like that, that beast gets bigger. That's all I'm saying, Mm -hmm. because it's a lot of a lot of magical power made to make that look cool. Um, But what I like about this and what I like about Jonathan in general, and I'm not sure how much of this was actually intentional in this episode, because we do give him quite the pass at the end. Um, Mm -hmm. But his obsession is is isn't with actually doing good, actually being good, but with being admired for being good, right? You know, and we're going to see the dark side of this impulse in season six. And in season seven, he's going to pay for that impulse with his life. He's going to pay for this part of his personality with his life, you know, and ironically, between Jonathan Warren and Andrew, Jonathan is the only one who actually seems to have learned something from his experience. I mean, Warren clearly like dies, you know, gets flayed by by Dark Willow and he yep. dies for his crimes because he actually, you know, killed somebody. But between Jonathan and Andrew, Jonathan is the one who seems to have learned something. Andrew doesn't. Like, Andrew, until we hit Storyteller in season seven, which, by the way, also written by my hero and yours, Jane Espenson, (laughs) who's amazing, right? Um, We love you, Jane! (laughs) I know, I love you, Jane. Andrew doesn't really learn, like, anything. He's the one who actually lives and survives through the whole process, when probably he shouldn't. Jonathan learns something. Jonathan develops empathy and has a sense of guilt for what he's done. Um, And uh, and so I, I find it interesting that Jonathan is, of course, the one that eventually will die for that, you know, for his goodness, while Andrew gets to live for whatever. And I mean, not that I don't love Andrew. I love... Andrew. I'm glad that Andrew lives. I love Tom Lank as Andrew. It's all really, really good stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, it's really, it's an interesting kind of like crunchy thing. The, the, the arc that Jonathan has throughout the run of Buffy, which I really, really enjoy. But anyway, this is about Superstar, not Storyteller. Again, We'll get there. Um, but anyway, here in Superstar, it's actually Jonathan who gives them the answer of how to beat Adam. Like, we, they can only kill him by destroying him completely. We know that he is not biological in nature, right? He's essentially a mech, you know, um, and that you have to destroy him completely so we're in this big you know big bad battle of the whole season and in this throwaway episode and this throwaway experience with Jonathan Jonathan actually moves that forward significantly so I find that really interesting that they gave him that ball to carry through you know Um, and overall like I like this idea but the fact that Jonathan doesn't really experience any consequence for fucking with reality endangering everyone almost killing both Tara and Karen and raping a pair of twins, which we are going to talk about. I'm going to set that aside for the moment because we need more time to talk about that. Um, But we get him at the end. He's like, everyone's mostly forgetting, but I think some people are kind of angry. Oh, you think, do you think, do you think Jonathan, you know, um, nobody's talking to me, the twins moved out. And like in this moment, are we supposed to
1: feel sorry for Jonathan? I'm so not clear. That is, that is Mm -hmm. one of the things in this episode that I'm really not, clear on how are yeah. we supposed to feel mm-hmm. in this moment right. i don't really know and maybe that's the point i mean i do love a story where we're like ooh i mean yeah. like i see why jonathan mm-hmm. would want to do this i also think it's there's an interesting little throwaway to the maybe questionable um treatment of what mm-hmm. jonathan was experiencing i mean he talks about going to counseling and to group right. Like group mm-hmm. therapy specifically, and mentions that another, another one of the group members had this spell. Right. So this idea and didn't that like did mention
0: the monster. Right. right? But so this it's idea not even that like, Jonathan's fault.
1: Yeah, but the idea that going to treatment for yeah. like Jonathan basically Jonathan does this because he didn't get quality treatment for his mental illness. He went to you know through Mm -hmm. like whole mouth logic right he goes to treatment where he is he actually in a way gets sicker because he is now given access to this magic that he didn't Mm -hmm. have before and he decides to use that to solve his problem in the same way that someone moving from you know You know, someone in, I mean, I guess I should just speak from my own, from my own experience here, you know, Mm -hmm. moving from eating disorder recovery into alcohol dependency, you know, because you didn't, you Mm -hmm. didn't treat the thing that was causing the depression Mm -hmm. or you didn't treat the source of the, you know, the pain. Mm -hmm. So he just, he just leapfrogs onto another maladaptive coping mechanism so there's like a tiny Mm -hmm. little i don't know i don't i don't know that that's intentional but it feels like a tiny little call out of like mental health care and how if it's not done well and it's not done holistically and it's not Mm -hmm. done um you know with a with a real compassion and concern for Mm -hmm. for the individual you can actually make somebody sicker. (laughs) I think that's absolutely true. And that is an unbelievably
0: compassionate and kind read. Of I think the text that we have in front of us, I did not read that at all. I mean, I tried. <laughs> what I know I, that was that was good. That was good, and that Ooh. shows how incredibly kind and compassionate a human being you are. And I think that all of the points that you make are absolutely valid. I don't believe that that was the point they were trying to make here. And in the end, I think that they are giving Jonathan a pass for what he's done. Now. First of all, you know, he blames it on his friend. He gave me the spell, but he didn't tell me about the monster. or He completely brushed past the whole monster thing, right? Okay, fine, It was the woman. She gave me the apple. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, it's somebody else's fault. He's dodging responsibility for what he's done, you know, right. um, which I don't find great. And then, you know, we get to, I mean, let's go ahead and talk about the, the twins and, and rape
1: culture, right? You know? Yeah. Um, Why is this because- here? But, like, really, though, like, could we do this episode without this moment? Yes. And have yes. it be as effective. Yes. yeah We absolutely could. Absolutely. Absolutely. This, this, the nothing in the
0: narrative requires that he has these mind controlled twins in his bed. Like, it's bad enough that he has violated everyone's reality, you know, that he has taken over Buffy's experience. Like, he has stolen Buffy's experience. We have that whole thing with Xander. He ground the yep. master's bones. He did all, all the things that Buffy did. He, those are things that Jonathan took from Buffy all of that is bad enough all of that is bad enough apparently he took the matrix from Keanu Reeves which by the way will not stand Jonathan is <laughs> a good good man he deserves credit for his work don't um,
1: fuck with the matrix
0: <laughs> don't fuck with the matrix man um so there's all of that but the the twins we have this moment he's at the fireplace the twins come over to the you know, balcony or whatever, and they call him up to bed. They're in robes. Clearly, they're sleeping with him. So up until this point, Jonathan has primarily been a harmless kind of fun character until we get to Earshot, where he is like, you know, a sad kind of, you know, like empathetic character that we we feel for him and for what he's, you know, trying to do in in The Bell Tower, which is not hurt anybody else, but take himself out because everything is so miserable and he is struggling with that depression. And that is, is a really, you know, like there's a time to be super compassionate for Jonathan, you know. Um, so up until now, mostly harmless, mostly fun, right? Uh, the Swedish twins joke, though, is 100% pure rape culture cooked up in a spoon and injected directly into this moment in this story and it does not need to be there Um, it brings like an essential darkness to jonathan's character that i don't think is intentional um and he never really suffers the consequences for it we never really address it because i think at the time we didn't see it you know, we we as a culture, as well as Jonathan, remain unchallenged about a lot of these things that we've had in our stories for a really long time. And I mean, again, it's not that nobody can do anything bad in stories. It's just that when they do those bad things and they are not textually acknowledged as bad, we send the message that it's not so bad. We rubber stamp that behavior, right? Um, you know, it's so cute that Jonathan is sleeping with these two women who have absolutely no path to actual consent, because they are under the influence of a mind spell, you know. Um, So afterward, once the spell is lifted, they are then left with the aftermath of that they have to deal with the fact that they were sleeping with this guy that they did not have the ability to consent to sleep with, regardless of whether in the moment, they believed they were consenting. The fact is, now that they know everything, they weren't consenting, you know, Um, consent is not possible when it is given on a lie or manipulation. And this being played off as a joke, I think is incredibly gross. And that said, though, I would like to make this point once again, as I always do, I don't blame Jane Espenson for writing it, you know, or the rest of the writing or production staff for allowing it to be filmed, allowing it to be part of this and not seeing it. We are all part of a culture that sees or has seen this kind of thing as perfectly cute and funny. The culture is the problem, not the writers who create within it and reflect us back at ourselves. Our stories reflect us back at ourselves. So it's on us. To fix this within ourselves, which is what we're doing when we call that out. So I just wanted to do my little rant. Your little...
1: Yeah, I mean...
0: Because this stuff pisses me off.
1: Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. It's also unnecessary. The, mm-hmm. the objectification of women for a joke is like... Mm-hmm. It's not... It Like, your sexist jokes aren't funny, basically, yeah. is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, And also... You know, the the fetishes, so objectification of women, not aside, but in addition to the fetishization yeah. of twins, mm-hmm. like there's mm-hmm. a, I mean, now, okay, I like, there's one element, there's a tiny element of this that I like, I will yes. admit to this, I like mm-hmm. the presence of twins in a story about an alternate reality. That's it. Sure. Like, I sure. like the little, like, ooh, like alternate reality. It's the same, but not, mm-hmm. you know, right. which is still actually pretty, pretty twin fetishizing. But the fetishization of twins, I just, no, yeah. no, no, don't do it. Don't, like, right. Twins. Because when you fetishize as a concept, twins not a sex as object.
0: Having <laughs> twins as a sex object at the same time, you're actually having them sleeping with each other as well, because it's all part of a thing, right? You know, I mean, engaging in sexual activity with each other, which is an incest thing.
1: It's just it's it's gross. Society is fucked up, y'all. No. Society <laughs> but, is really I mean, fucked
0: up. And the way that society views and objectifies and fetishizes women in various forms, but you know, yeah, the twin thing, absolutely. It's gross. Um, it's gross. It's, so all we gross. needed
1: from that moment was mm-hmm. for Jonathan to take off his robe and have his scar look around. That's yes. all that needed to happen. Like <laughs> we, we, we didn't just... we didn't need the twins in there. We could and have done the that end, with a ridiculous when bubble. He back. sadly <laughs> says
0: the twins moved out. Um First of all, yeah, how did they move out? Is that house yours?
1: Is Do that you get to keep the house? house? Like Does he have like an eccentric grandfather yeah. somewhere I who like don't... owns this mansion? What is I happening? I don't I don't know. know. I don't
0: um know. you know, the twins beat me with a shovel could have been a better <laughs> way to express you know I like mean, that there was some consequence for that aside from the fact that they're just not going to sleep with him anymore well, um yeah and
1: this idea of the slow memory fade we see yeah. the spell like ripple through sunnydale right. and things certain change things all the change immediately back, yeah. certain things change back immediately but then the way it's given to us in that final I guess it's not the final yeah. scene. It's the second to, mm-hmm. you know, the second to last right. scene where everybody's sitting under the tree and, like, mm-hmm. getting in touch with nature again after this, like, alternate reality. And, yeah. you know, symbolically, like, we're back in Eden with our grass. and Whatever. It's right. fine. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but we're learning. We learn that the memory of the experience will disappear completely. Yeah. But it's a slow fade. So. Yeah. Think about like the gross weirdness of that for everyone who was like, "Wait, did I?"
0: Because they're having a- some of their on. reality erased.
1: Yeah, but like you know, gradually. Again. Yeah, gradually because a gradual descent it? into madness. Right. Someone says, "So we hear in the background." Someone says, "So who did who really did star in the Matrix?" And I think it's mm-hmm. Riley says, "Wait, that wasn't real too." Like, right? They're at different stages in Mm -hmm. where their memory is going as it's going it's uh, like the implications of that are so dark and also so like unexplored (laughs) and i just want to go off on that tangent now about memory but let's not because let's let's well but really like like you say you know when you talk about these elements that end up in stories, but then are mm-hmm. never acknowledged, and part of what right. is problematic is mm-hmm. not their presence in the story, but it's the that we're not but that we talk don't acknowledge. About it,
0: yeah, that's the mm-hmm. issue.
1: Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So, anyway. Anyway, fucking with people's memories. Don't do it. Fucking
0: with people's memories. I'm telling you, it's a bad thing. Uh, Ordinarily, I think you can't do it, although there are people who do gaslighting and mess with Mm -hmm. people's realities all the time. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. we do actually have a real life analog for this kind of thing. Gaslighting is... bullshit. So um, Buffy, let's talk a little bit about Buffy. Um, You talked about Buffy having that body sense of that body memory, Mm -hmm. uh, which I really, really love. She clearly feels that something is wrong. You know, Jonathan's running the show. She knows instinctively that she's supposed to be the leader. She's supposed to be running things here and yet he does it, you know. Oh. Um, and there's that one moment where he says it only matters that you do your best. And she goes, but that's just it. I don't think it was my best, you know. So she is really trying to pick up on this early. And I like this this thing that it's not just that Jonathan is extraordinary and good at everything because he's actually really not, you know. Yeah. It's that in order for him to be extraordinary, he has to make everyone else extraordinary. He has to like take down the people who are truly extraordinary. Mm -hmm. He has to take them down so that they are below him. Um, And I think that that's kind of an interesting thing. Buffy can't be Buffy in the presence of Jonathan, because Jonathan Mm -hmm. is actually stealing her life her existence her experiences you know um and well it's almost like how the patriarchy works sorry dude (laughs) can you imagine can you imagine how is that anyway that's another podcast um so Jonathan tells both Buffy and Riley to talk to each other and they don't and i find that really interesting and In the one scene where uh he's jonathan is singing they just dance together riley starts to talk and she's like we don't need to i've just got your arms around me i know right mm-hmm. um then at the end of the episode after everything is starting to fade jonathan says he doesn't quite remember what he told buffy but the advice was good and she and riley should talk and then we see her making out with riley and she's like no we don't need to talk or i'm so glad we talked about it he's like well we didn't and then they're just making out you know and the joke is that she says oh Jonathan you know um but at the same time like I think it is so indicative of their relationship they're both talking to other people in this case it happens to be Jonathan you know and we'll see this again with Riley in season five with Xander where he says oh yeah Buffy's so great shouldn't love me though you know Mm -hmm. um so we see that again, like they don't talk to each other. And if you don't talk to each other, what kind of relationship can you possibly have? You know, <sighs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I find it really interesting that through this whole thing, we still it's almost like like they're they're selling Riley as, you know, this great like love interest for Buffy. But it does seem almost textually acknowledged that he's really not like we get to that in season five. But in season four, it felt a little bit like I wasn't sure if we were textually acknowledging that Riley was a big, damp, wet piece of toilet paper, like um, <laughs> big pile of macaroni salad mashed potato yes exactly um so i don't know i mean i kind of like but but from here it feels like we are seeding that idea that riley and buffy are definitely not right for each other they're not a good team
1: yeah yeah we can't seem to make up our minds as a show mm-hmm. like yeah because on the one hand i'm like i sort of like the idea that you know working off of my like physicality rap that like yeah mm-hmm. you know oh just like feeling like physically feeling safe in someone's presence or like yeah. a really good hug like somebody mm-hmm. who's just like a really good hugger and you're like right yeah this is a this is a good connection but it's not played like that it's played yeah. like they really need to talk and they don't and like mm-hmm. Buffy doesn't want to talk to Riley yeah I yeah, yeah. She doesn't want to talk about it. He
0: offers to talk about it. He tries. He tries a couple times. she is not interested. Yeah, she is not interested in talking about it. She does not want to have that discussion. She just wants to go past it. Um, And that is putting distance, you Mm -hmm. know, between her and Riley. Um, And I find that really interesting. Meanwhile, there is no distance between Buffy and Spike. Hello. I am ashamed to admit it, but when Spike flirts with Buffy, I mean, for a vampiric value of flirting, like it is so hot and the thing is you know it's it's better when he flirts with her when she has her own agency and she like smacks him in the face and tell and pushes him away and tells him he's beneath her, <laughs> like all of that stuff is really super good um but it's funny though, because like I think that this is the first time. That he flirts with her like that in this like overtly sexual way. And we have to realize that this comes directly off the pop-like warm champagne experience, which Spike (laughs) does not know was not Buffy. He doesn't find that out until season seven when he talks to Faith and meets her in her body for the first time. And then he's like, oh, right. (laughs) So
1: that cracks me up. Every time you say that line, every time you repeat that line, I just picture that edit in Boogie Nights <laughs> where <laughs> Mark Wahlberg, whose name I can't remember in the movie. What's his name in the movie? Right, Boogie I don't Nights. know. See, I'm going to spoil a movie. But he does his first he does his first porno scene. Yeah. And it's wonderful. Like, it's so great. And then there's this cut to to a like a close up of a champagne bottle. Explode yes. like pop, and I'm like every time you repeat that line, I'm just like I'm like I'm right there in Boogie Nights. i like, oh, it's, I'm like, God. I completely
0: I have compl- I saw Boogie are- Nights many many years ago, but I've completely forgotten it because we watched it with my father in law, and it was really uncomfortable. Wow! And I think that I have I have wow. erased. Yeah, That's... I have erased the experience from
1: my. <laughs> that we were yeah. Yes. But that whole scene, that whole scene is spectacular, and then it ends with this yes. champagne edit, and I'm like, I, every time you say it, I'm, that that's where I go. There you go, um, right back there, right back know. there. <laughs> Not actually related <laughs> to Buffy, but have fun with that. Yeah. Yes, I'm, and oh, and co-signed on Spike's little like yeah. finger trail down her yeah. sternum. I'm like, oh, oh hello. <laughs> hello, Spike.
2: Hi, so bad.
1: Spike. We're yeah, it's very. <laughs> Oh, he so is bad.
0: I, I'll tell you James Marsters can sell that shit he can sell that shit and he is so much more you look at Riley and all of his like sexy moments he's with so... Buffy and he is like a big piece of wood there's nothing and then he's, Spike comes yeah. in and it's like man he's adorable
1: but he's he not mm. he's
0: just he's a big mashed potato um <laughs> So one of the other things, quickly, that I wanted to mention is that we do have, you know, a, an actor of color. I love when we have an actor of color who actually, like, you know, gets some work. But at the same time, I think it shines such a light on how fucking white Buffy is, right? Oh um, we have Karen, right, who is a black Karen woman, with a K, right? <laughs> Karen with a K, who is a black woman. She um she rushes in after being attacked, passes by two more black women, right. And that is the only time we see people of color, black people, people of color, like anything, in Sunnydale, it stands out so much because there's so little of it. So, and I know it's, it's, it's a show that's done and there's nothing to be done about it. But I mean, when the only people of color you have are victims, extras, and, you know, forest it's Not and great. It's not a great look. We get yeah. some villains. And villains of color, we had trick, like, right? Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Nice but work so there.
0: few, so few. It's like there are no people of
1: color in all
0: of Sunnydale. I find that just hard to believe. Also, Sunnydale
1: uh, is Southern California, which is actually North Mexico. So, um, come on, guys. <laughs> we could have we could have some more diversity. We could stand some more diversity.
0: Um, you know, when when you have so few, you know, non-white characters. Um it ends up becoming like it becomes so blatant like every time you see it you're like oh okay you know so anything that they do with those characters feels like it's reflecting on the race of those characters rather than just them being characters and that's something that can only be stopped by more representation both in front of the camera and above the line that is my pitch that is what we need we need more people telling stories more people more diversity in the people who tell stories and how they tell those stories Um, because if there were more people of color
1: above the line possibly this sort of thing wouldn't happen anyway well and people like to say that like oh but like we've looked and there's just not you know oh bullshit 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 beyonce Beyonce found how many black woman tuba players what was it like come on if if you say it's not there you're not looking such
0: bullshit yes exactly there are qualified (laughs) creative people who need to be telling our stories because our stories are not going to get better until we have more people telling them. And that's it. That's my rant. I've said it before. I'll say it again. And for all of you out there rolling your eyes like we've heard this before, you'll hear it again. Get used to it. I'm going to say it every goddamn time. All right. So uh, one more thing I wanted to bring on a little tiny nerdy detail. When Jonathan sings Serenade in Blue, the voice is actually not Danny Strong. Although, like, you know, sometimes when you have a voice singer and you're like, oh, God, that. Clearly is not it's the actor. It's obviously not that. It yeah. sounded like like the quality of the voice mm-hmm. sounded like Danny Strong. I thought that was amazing, and that is Brad Kane, who was actually the singing voice for Aladdin in the 1992 Disney movie. Brad Kane also played Tucker Wells, Andrew's older brother, as we'll discover in season six when Andrew shows up, um, who released the Hellhounds on the Prom. And Brad Kane, by the way, is also married to Sarah Thompson, who played Eve on. An angel. It is a small, small (laughs) waiting verse, y'all. Small waiting verse.
1: Just wanted to bring that up. I love it. For my for my buffy nerds who may be out at trivia at some point. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and my my like film knowledge trivia can maybe help somebody like get a free latte one morning. Sure. Um, You never know. So obviously, obviously here we are. Bizarro world or world where everything is not what Mm -hmm. it seems, right? Referencing Mm -hmm. the matrix. Um, Of course we are. I think that's adorable. But there's also this wonderful moment um, when we see the spell sweep through Sunnydale and reverse. Mm -hmm. There's the the marquee at the theater says mm-hmm. "Being Jonathan Levinson," and <laughs> is that a reference to being John Malkovich? Like, did he? I think so. Because... It was about this time, wasn't it? I when think being so. Malkovich was I think Yeah, so being John Malkovich, and which I I love so much in a story about like alternate realities, but mm-hmm. also like, because John Malkovich plays John Malkovich in being John yeah. Malkovich, but it's not, but he's not himself. He is a fictionalized yeah. version of himself, and then mm-hmm. we have all of the delightfulness about like, people being on other people's bodies. It's great. It's great. Yeah. It just, mm-hmm. it feels very... Like here's the thing yeah, that that's I like Charlie I Kaufman. Like,
0: Charlie Kaufman movies are weird, but they will have you thinking. It's so <laughs> it's so fascinating the way that Charlie Kaufman blends realities. You know, like when he did. Um, oh shit! What was it? Was it called the Orchid Thief? What was adaptation? It I love that adaptation. Movie. Right? Adaptation. Adap- yeah, Spike where Jones. he's yeah he's so taking good. this um you know this real you know nonfiction book written by who the fuck was it susan orlean right yes Um, i think so right susan orlean okay i don't know what i'm talking about this is clearly off the cuff and not in the script (laughs) i'm like i don't know i could look it up and act like i know this stuff but i'd rather be honest with you guys i don't know i'm pulling it all off the top of my head vague memories but anyway so there's the orchid thief written by susan orlean which is an actual nonfiction book so he takes that and adapts it into this like blending of realities and eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Also, Charlie Kaufman. So I just want to do a Charlie Kaufman shout out. If you want to have a movie night with your friends where you talk about the movie for more time than you actually spent watching the movie, (laughs) Charlie Kaufman is a great way to go. The shit is weird, but it is interesting.
1: Oh, God. And I hope he didn't do anything really, really super problematic because I just want to like his stuff. Oh,
0: I don't know. I haven't studied him enough to say that he hasn't, but But, I think that whatever, even if he's problematic, he will be problematic in an interesting way. That's Kaufman's (laughs) brand.
1: That's his brand. Okay, that's fun. Um, (laughs) No, it is. And of course, you know, just taking us right, taking us back to Buffy, title of the episode is Superstar, which was also the title of a Molly Shannon movie. But what I actually want to talk about (laughs) is Superstar, the Karen Carpenter story. The wow. 1987 Todd Haynes wow. biopic of Karen Carpenter made with the Barbie uh-huh. dolls. It's
0: wow. fantastic.
1: But also, again, about like celebrity and the cult of celebrity mm-hmm. and using Barbie, who is herself a celebrity, to play yeah. Karen Carpenter. It's a fascinating. Wow. Anyway, I have no idea if that bit of extra textual deliciousness was intentional. Um But then, of course, this song, Superstar by the Carpenters, the chorus of which begins, Don't You Remember? You told me you loved me, baby, which is the line that sets off Faith when she's in Buffy's body and sleeping with Riley. And I'm just like, oh, my God, bringing it on home. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Again, no idea if that means anything to anyone, but, you know, you're welcome.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, all right. So, Noelle, what are you wearing this week?
1: <laughs> I liked his clothes. <laughs> it was so good. I, I mean, he does. Like, Jonathan looks very dapper, but I'm realizing, mm-hmm. and I, I had this, like, ping of recognition as you were speaking about the way in which he becomes cool. Yeah. That this is, he is fictional cool. Yeah, like he's not—he's he's not, not actual cool. cool. Right. He's not actually cool. He is what he has determined is cool from watching, mm-hmm. presumably, like James Bond movies. I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. love and like, maybe a couple episodes of Angels. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, we talked about how much we hate the moment with the twins, but I do love Jonathan's yeah. like Hugh Hefner robe. Yes. Because of yes. course, like of course, mm-hmm. he would think this was.
2: Cool. Like he is
1: referencing a very specific patriarchal kind of cool with his suits Mm -hmm. and his, you know, luxe, like luxury sort of attire. And I do love his billowy angel coat. I love that they gave him a big, like, which is also the Matrix. Which right. I still haven't seen, but isn't there like a mm-hmm. thing with like the coats and slow motion and the Matrix time thing where we put a bunch of cameras in a circle and yeah, I'm gonna have to see <laughs> the Matrix. I'm probably
0: <laughs> you are clearly gonna have to see the Matrix. I'm clearly gonna have to see
1: the Matrix. <laughs> clearly, um, no, I love it. I love it. Yeah, but I love I love this idea that he's not he's not cool for the world. He's cool for the movies. He's Yes, exactly. It's not actual cool. It
0: is performative cool.
1: Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm.
0: I love it. I like it. All
1: right. And now it's time for... Oh,
2: not with a girl, Girl pal, (laughs) Bit All
1: right. So, Noel, what's your girl power moment of the week? Oh, it's Buffy saying, I remember this. So she's kicking ass, kicking the monster's Mm -hmm. ass into the, you know, into the void. Actually, it's Jonathan who knocks the monster into the void. But right the moment, like... Not not just the the memory of it and her her body mm-hmm. like doing the thing that it was mm-hmm. chosen to do. I guess right. Um, it's how much pleasure she derives from mm-hmm. it. Like she's clearly just having a blast yes. doing this thing mm-hmm. that she you know is like built to do and remembering mm-hmm. that she's awesome at. And I love it. I also love Tara casting obfuscate on the monster when she's afraid yes how do you what like i mean it sucks that we damseled tara yet again and
0: will not be the last time um but, but but it was it was nice to see her use her power You know, which is significant. If she could just pull that out in the middle of a freaking, you know, attack. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Yeah. That was good. I mean, Willow, I think it's later on, Willow says something about, Mm -hmm. like, you have to <laughs> when when Riley's talking about maybe learning to excrete gold coins and Willow's like no, no you have to concentrate it's... like it's serious <laughs> business
0: right yeah oh I mean that takes that yeah. takes a lot of power and harnessing that power which I think is really good um I <laughs> oh, so you have to had, like, like relax
1: a... your sphincter right to <laughs> release gold co- oh I'm sorry what we were talking about magic <laughs> it's just like lots of deep breathing you know relax like your it. jaw <laughs> and that will make the excreting of the gold coins easier. Yes. Yes. I'm no, the, sorry. What? But... No, that's Happy right. Happy new year, um,
0: everybody. Happy new year. Um, I actually have a moment that is not, it's not a girl, you know, it's Jonathan, but I do feel like this is a powerful moment. And, and while we've taken Jonathan down a bit, you know, throughout this episode and it, it was necessary because he wasn't taken down in the episode itself. Um, The moment when, I mean, we're we're faked out that he's going to throw Buffy into the void, you know, so that it doesn't kill the monster. But he actually does kill the monster. He actually does, like, when given the choice, makes the right choice, even though it is not going to go well for him. And he's going to have to give up everything. Now, granted, everything that he has was not fairly achieved in the first place. Um, he doesn't deserve it, and he should absolutely be doing this. This is the right thing to do, but the right thing isn't necessarily something that comes to Jonathan naturally, you know? Mm-hmm. So for him to take this moment, do the right thing, help Buffy kill this monster, and then taking himself down in the process, I thought that that was pretty powerful, and I like that. I thought that yeah, was a good moment. And it's it was a good poetic. moment for Jonathan. It's a little,
1: mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's kind of poetic for someone yeah. who, was ready to die out of despair mm-hmm. to yeah. be ready to die to save yeah. the world, really. Yeah, and like, to save the world know, from himself, I mean, in all from fairness. From himself, From him, still, like, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's something, mm-hmm. there's there's something there. But then, of course, we don't really, you know, no. we could have no, left we it end... there and it would have been better, I think. Yeah, no, it would have been better. Know. We end
0: on a bad... On a bad, bad note with Jonathan, but I liked that. I liked that. moment. Yes. All right. Yes. So, Noel, what is your favorite part?
1: The I mean, I've already raved about it, but the whole Jonathan swimsuit calendar scene. Right. Yes. Oh, my God. I love mm-hmm. it so much. I also mm-hmm. love, I love Riley saying, did anyone else feel way too tall? I felt way too tall. Oh, it's because you are way too tall, Riley. You Riley, are... you're too tall in the regular universe. You're too tall. Like, I love, I I don't know. There's just something about the way he says that. Like, it yes. just occurred to him just now that he is a giant hunk of right. man meat. Right. Like, it oh. just occurred to him. Like, oh. If you're Poor six Riley. foot a million, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, he knows how tall he is, though. And I'm so okay.
0: joking around about Riley being way too tall. Mark Lucas is exactly as tall as Mark Blue- Lucas is supposed to be. He is the perfect amount of Mark Blue- Lucas tall. I'm just joking. He with is him. very big um, and cute and pretty. I am not. And... I am not mocking his body at all. There is nothing to mock. <laughs> oh, there's it's nothing to great. mock.
1: You could it's look. It's pretty
0: great. <laughs> Trust me, I've looked. <laughs> 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 I love it. No body shaming on on Riley. He's fantastic. <laughs> um, all right. So my favorite part is Jonathan in the credits. I love that that little bit of reality bending. Not just for the the universe and the fiction, but the reality for the for the viewers. I thought that that was really really fun. And it's adorable seeing Jonathan look so cool. Yeah. You yes. know, so performatively cool, performatively but also cool. you know, cool. Like when he's. I'm sorry, but that billowing black jacket, man. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Money
1: everyone looks
0: cool in a slow motion billowing jacket
1: I <laughs> guarantee right, I wanna, it.
0: i want to wear one of those jackets and get that slow motion shot one of these days i'm gonna do it
1: <laughs> oh absolutely absolutely oh i can just see it you'll be like in the wind it'll be so good right it'll so- no it'll be yeah. awesome <laughs> yes If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich and I am at Noelle Aloud and the hashtag is Still Pretty.
0: This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the Power Producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our January Producers. Jonathan, Shelley, Kristen, Noelle, Alyssa, Erica, Abigail, Alice, and Sarah. And this week's special message for our power producers, you could have like a world without shrimp. Or with, you know, nothing but shrimp.
1: You could even make a freaky world where Jonathan's a mouth breather, if that's what's blowing your skirt up. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash Chipperish. Other ways to show your support? Write a great review on Apple Podcasts, or tell your friends about the show. Whatever you do, just don't speak Latin in front of the books.
0: We'll be back next week with Where the Wild Things Are, the 18th episode of Season 4. Until then, Buffy was right. Buffy was right.